I, I, I read a book that I really love called um, Offside uh, by Andy Markovitz. And that book is essentially about like the difficulty of managing the growth of soccer um, amidst American exceptionalism. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Hello folks, welcome back to Build It. This week we are talking to Andrew Swanson, a guy that not many of you will know. He is involved with um, a club based in Chicago. And as ever, I am joined by John Hall. Um, so Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. Delighted to have you on with us. If you could tell us a little bit about your history and your soccer story before we talk specifically about Edgewater. Absolutely. Thank you for, for having me on. Um... I've got a, a ton of respect for y'all in DeKalb, and um, always, always a pleasure talking to you guys. Um, so, yeah, my, my story in soccer is um, a little unorthodox, I guess. I didn't really find the game in earnest until uh, I was, you know, in my late 20s, nearing 30, honestly. Um, my, to go way further back, my brother and sister were born in Scotland. Um, so my, my, uh, my familial sort of, like, background is kind of based in in that culture a bit and um you know that sort of drew some interest from me to like all things um British Isles at one time in my life which I definitely encountered soccer then in sort of middle school I guess um but I pretty quickly transitioned uh into the arts and um went to Columbia College Chicago for theater where I uh co-founded Jackalope Theater Company with three seniors at the time um, which is a nonprofit theater, still still cooking and operating, uh, also in Edgewater um, to this day. So my my sort of first ten years in Chicago were very much based in theater arts and acting and writing and producing um, with a bunch of companies, but a lot of that through Jackalope Theater, our company. Um, and through that experience, I sort of gained a lot of uh, skills um, relating to a bunch of different things like carpentry and communications and uh, community outreach and, um, you know, civic engagement and, and a bunch of different stuff that I really had no education in, um, but was able to sort of learn through experience, I guess. So through that, uh, about six years ago now, I started a, a furniture business. Uh, in about four-ish years ago now, I uh, had an accident in my shop, which kind of uh, was not ideal and kind of put me uh, on the couch for a few months through that winter. And in that very boring period of my life, I sort of very randomly stumbled across some game on online, I think. I had found some soccer game that was on and just decided to start watching it. And like within a couple of days, I was just sort of obsessively like combing through uh, highlight videos and looking at cleats and like very randomly back in this sort of weird uh, sports obsessed um, sort of childlike place again, uh, which I really enjoyed. So uh, I, I decided to, you know, get more into the fire and 
play more FIFA and just, you know, made it, made a decision that, you know, I was going to chase this thing a little bit more. Um, and as a person who sort of tries to be as hands-on as possible, um, I kind of realized through a lot of the work I had done with the theater company in my community that, you know, our community up in Edgewater and Rogers Park and Uptown and sort of Northeast side of um, Chicago, there is no East because we have a lake, you know what I mean? Um, but that community in our community is just incredibly, you know, globally representative and is sort of a, a immigrant refugee safe haven and has been for a really long time. So the, the community there um, represents a ton of cultures that soccer is very much kind of at the heart of in terms of both sport and just, you know, general cultural identity. And then this like light switch kind of clicked on in my head when I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we had like a local team that was sort of ideologically built for this community, for all these cultures to come together and, you know, be an American soccer club. And I just sort of really grabbed hold of that and uh, dragged it as far as I could. And, and you know, luckily the, the situation got better and better kind of as I brought more people uh, on board, people from within the community and within my uh, theater circles and just sort of random uh, people that sort of agreed to, to be a part of it over, over the last few years. So yeah. Right. That was- how many people do you think you've got, not only you think, how many people do you officially have involved on a non-playing level? Like In the, in the sort of full staff, yeah. um, these, are, these are people that are sort of around and talking to us once a week and, you know, very regularly around. It's, I think, like, cl- like about 10, um, about 10 staff members. And then we've got a couple of additional coaches who aren't really included in that list. Um, and some of these people are like, you know, photographers and people that run the stream and people that are sort of handle marketing. This is kind of everybody included in that. And, you know, ideally over the next several months, we'll, we'll kind of add more folks to that list. We have a few people that we know we're uh, bringing on board in a more sincere capacity mm-hmm. soon. And then, yeah. And then there's also a sort of other group, which is our, our community ownership group that is around 30 people that are kind of less administratively involved on a consistent basis, but are sort of like by consultation around to give advice and sort of vote yeah. on things and sure. stuff like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. So very much not a one person operation is what you're saying. No, no, it's not. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a ton of people um, with their, their hands and things. I, I, I would say it's very much like behind a certain wall, a one person operation. And that like, I, I, I am very much kind of like, back here pulling all the levers and stuff but there's you know the next layer outside of that is a group of very committed very capable people which is super sounds like we're talking to me again yes it's my baby but i don't want it to be my baby but i'm not letting go of my baby yeah (laughs) what what sort of level are we playing at as a club edgewater class what league are they playing in well none (laughs) right now but um uh this uh season we were intending to be in the premier soccer league of Chicagoland um, in the uh, major division, which is a really strong league. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a great league. It's really organized. They have a lot of sort of very clear connections to the ISSA, the Illinois State Soccer Association. Um, so all the sort of registrations and referees and schedules and, uh, you know, coordination of that league is great. It's run by uh, Claudio Frigo, who's, 
been around for a long time and is a very, very cool dude. Um, so we were very much set on playing in that league and ideally um, also playing in the state cup this summer, but um, due to the pandemic, obviously they, they canceled the season to be pretty close to the start, which is the, the responsible thing to do. So, so were there other plans yes. for or hopes for not plans, but other hopes for um, moving up the, the pyramid such as it is? Yeah. I mean, we are, you know, one of the things that I think we, set out to do from the very beginning is be a club that is like always intending to grow. Um, and like we were sort of mentioning uh, earlier, the the sort of trajectory for us has never been um, totally orthodox in the, you know, we've got, we've got a plan and we've got some money and we can make this thing happen right now. It's always been a pretty slow, slow moving, um, climb i guess uh we're, we're in a really good spot right now kind of despite everything that we've we've gotten ourselves into a position where we feel organizationally um really strong and really um like we kind of know what we're doing <laughs> to a degree in the world we're in now that we feel as though we we may be close enough to make a decision soon to um you know try to try to reach another level we haven't made an official decision on that yet but yeah, I mean, gro growth is very much a thing that I think is important for not all clubs, but certain clubs to always sort of have in mind is that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a club that's really designed first and foremost for our players. Um, and the higher platform we can get them on to be seen by bigger teams who will potentially pay them, that that's sort of a, a big part of why we yeah. exist. So it's definitely our intention at some point to to move up a little bit if possible. It's interesting. Can I jump in? Oh, go on, Joe. Can I, I want to I jump over to, um, to your, your community ownership. Um, I, I'm always intrigued at how the big clubs do it, how the small clubs do it. Talk about, mm -hmm. you've been around since about 2017-ish, about the same timeline that we were on, I think, 2018, whatever, pretty close. Yeah. Um, how have how has that you know you mentioned like about thirty people? Um, how is that? How is it organized? What is the communication like to them? What is the communication from them back to you? And have you seen great consistency year to year that everybody renews because it's an annual membership? I would assume so. Um, yeah, I'm just curious how you engage and how you uh, how you've seen the if any ebbs and flows. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's all it's all sort of in a lot of ways based on um, sort of big moments in a year, right. That we can, we can sort of reach out and try to garner more support. There's definitely sort of a steady flow uh, since we started of, you know, more people come on board every year. Um, some people don't renew, but then usually another couple people will take that person's place. Um, so it's been pretty consistent. It's definitely not, um, uh, like like an exponential graph or anything right now because you know we're just really not at the place where we're putting jet fuel in our hype train so to speak um, so yeah I mean the, the as far as how it sort of operates the communication is pretty much exclusively through email we sort of I send that group updates ideally like once every two weeks or so um, and just have, you know, questions in there and things that I ask opinions on. 
Um, and you know, some people, some people don't necessarily want to engage that regularly. So that's fine. But some people do. Some people like will send me a text asking for a, a call about a, a topic or an issue, like right after I send the email. So it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit organization. That's not a secret to anyone. Um, so the sort of ownership idea is one that fits kind of strangely into that model. And I think that it's, it's hard for some people to sort of grasp how that works essentially. But what it basically is, is, you know, a, a group of people who have decided that they want to invest in this thing for, for the sake of what it is and what we're doing with it. Um, what happens sort of to that group and the structure of the organization as we grow is sort of a, a longer conversation and question. Um, but yeah, for the time being, it's, it's really been growth based on what we're able to accomplish and announce to the world, you know? So if, if, if we say, um, you know, like when we, we launched a new website recently and that brought in a few new members of that group, um, just because it was a thing we were able to do in a year when nothing's happening. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our best to sort of highlight, highlight the players and highlight the club and kind of keep the quality of what we're doing, whatever that is consistent. Um, and, you know, put more fuel in the train, uh, as we go sort of from here on out to sort of hopefully see those numbers grow, but it's been a relatively like, you know, organic thing in that like family and friends were the first people to say like, yeah, this is cool. Um, and then it's definitely sort of grown beyond that over the last couple of so years. So here's where, here's where we get the big plug. If, if I can buy a membership to union Dubuque, then there's gotta be 300 people across the country that'll listen to this that should support Edgewater castle. I'm talking happy Joe down in Georgia. I know happy <laughs> Joe's going to get a membership. We can pump the numbers up, but I know exactly where you're going. You're, you're slow, you're slow, steady growth. And, and you've seen, it sounds mm -hmm. like that you started from the idea and you sold it to five friends and, and family members and you did what you could the first year and then you grow and then you grow. And now the, the people we've talked to, I know Nick and I are always fascinated with, with staff because the, the clubs that are able to build out a strong support staff are, oh, I guess we always feel that they're going to be more successful long-term because you'll certainly burn out doing this by yourself or even in a small group. So it's cool to hear that you've, you, you and your club and, and our club started about the same time we went straight to this mm -hmm. elite amateur, semi-pro, whatever, in, in joining a national right. league. And you said, slow and steady, we're going to join the city league. We're going to build a reputation, build some camaraderie with our, our players, a, a strong, smaller support staff of a little bit more dedicated people. And then maybe down the line we'll grow. And if not, that's okay too, right? You just kind of like let the community tell you where you can go from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's sort of, you know, I, I hope I don't say this too much in this interview, but like that is definitely a part of my experience in the arts was very much just that like no one's got any money. Like no one's, no one's being paid to do this. The attitude is very much like you're doing it so that you get better at it so that eventually you're good enough at it to get to that next place, right? that was just sort of what, what we, how we learned based on necessity. 
and that's very much the case for Edgewater Castle too. You know, we, we, we didn't have any real investment. We didn't have any sort of corporate support or partnerships to sort of get us off the ground. It was very much just months after months of kind of like getting a snowball together, you know? And I feel like one of the things that has been really important uh, sort of in both, in both the arts and in soccer, I think, is that like sustainability is absolutely king. You know, you can have a big splash and have a really good season. And then the next season you're gone because sustainability wasn't one of your top priorities. And, you, you know, that, that, that happens every year with um, arts organizations and soccer teams. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely something that I felt was really important for us, knowing that it would be a long time before we were able to sort of get that interest to get that support. I think yeah, that's the thing that but, we've tried to highlight in the episodes we've done already is like every decision you make isn't about whether it's a good decision tomorrow. It's about whether, will this ensure that we're here this time next year? Right, exactly. Well, if you're, and if you're mission driven in, in any way and as a nonprofit, you have to be, you cannot fulfill a mission if you don't exist. Mm-hmm. It's the next point when in the short term, if you have to sacrifice the, uh, I want to get the coaching staff matching Adidas shoes so they look good on the bench. Right. That's where you put it back into that mixer and say, does this help us survive long-term? then I'm sorry, we're not getting everybody matching shoes. Those are the kinds of decisions that you make right. that are, that's a, that's a terrible example, but <laughs> you, you have to. No, it's not. That's a perfect but, example. You know, we all think about it. We all think about wanting the coaches to all have matching stuff from day one. Of course and, we do. And, and then all, you know, the, does the CEO need a, need a helicopter? Yeah. But do we have to have it this year? No, we probably don't. I know. I think, I think right. I, I admire the way you've, we've gone about it but but i think but yeah. no honestly i think andrew i think you guys were our last match last year and that's yeah. the last match we played which is and it was a great game on you know on the field you uh i think it was i think it was one nil it was a it was a competitive match so it was it, that final goal was amazing <laughs> yes who scored it was a it was a college kid from Wisconsin, right? Who had a bunch of fans there. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, that was uh, Beto. They they brought a whole contingent of uh, Beloit supporters down for That's that right. match, and and yes, it was uh, it was fun. But those are the moments that you you do all this other work for, so that your right. community and the supporters that show up have an opportunity to experience that. Like, man, this is just awesome, and it's right here in our backyard, and. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's really cool. I was, I was glad you guys were able to make the trip out and, and, um, and, you know, it was a good competitive game. And I thought it was probably a good test for you to see where your guys were. What, if we're quote unquote, the next level, you were able to see that you guys can yeah. compete at that level. And, um, you know, I think it was a, I think it was a lot of fun. I know Nick's got 27 more questions, but, but what's your, uh, he always likes to ask, would you do this again if you were starting out three years ago? Oh, that is a good question. Yeah, I would. I would. I haven't, I haven't run into like any of the, like pulling my hair out scenarios that I'm sure I will at some point. Um, but yeah, I would. I mean, like my, my obsession has only grown, you know, so it's hard for me to answer otherwise at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like I would. Would you tell other people to do it? Ooh, that's a different thing. Um, I would, I would tell other people to try definitely. Um, because 
you know, even if you fail, like I'm a very like um, kind of minuscule importance person. And that like, if a, if a team pops up um, in South shore and they have one season and it doesn't work out and then they close, they still gave like 30 players a team to play on in South shore for a year. Right. So like, I feel like it's always a good thing um, to create more opportunity for, for players in certain communities. So I think, yeah, do it, try, because there, there will never be enough. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far? Ooh, good question. I'd say probably, probably early on um, being a little too everything on my back personally and being a little too um, impatient at certain times. And I've, I've overcome that, but like there, there have definitely been moments in which I felt like I didn't want to take the route we've taken and kind of tr made attempts to sort of change that trajectory suddenly and sort of jump off in a different direction. Um, and usually that like didn't go well and would, would uh, some, you know, I think in some cases could put me back further than I, than I was prior, you know, like whether it's um, relying too heavily on um, like certain individuals in this, like, like we had a, a we, we brought in a, a person that was going to be head coach once. So we brought in someone to be a head coach once we really liked, and we really thought he was going to be great. Um, and we were like set on it. And we, you know, had like, we were ready to announce everything. Y you know, my, my sort of co-founder with the club, James Katia, mentioned to me like you know i feel like we're kind of rushing for this because we don't really know this dude um and i was like no come on he's great he knows what he's doing he's great players respect him which was true and then you know within within about a week of him even saying he was he was you know willing to to head, be the head coach he started bringing up like pay and money and like if we could find a vehicle for him and like started making all these demands and, and I just suddenly realized like, oh yeah, you're right. We were not on the same page at all. <laughs> and like that, he, you know, he was being very ridiculous and quickly thereafter moved somewhere else to be a coach to be paid. So I think that might've just been what was already going to happen. Mm -hmm. But either way, I think that, you know, things like that have happened in the past where I've been tempted to try a different way of doing it, you know? Um, but in the end, it sort of always brings me back to the way I can do it, you know, which is the way we're doing it now. So if you're driving it, it's um, going to be on your terms, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then the, the counter to that so far, what's been your proudest moment? Um, proudest moment, probably, um, that's, a, that's sort of a, a tough one. That, one thing that, okay, I'm going to sort of give two, two things as like proudest moments in our history as a club kind of and then one that's sort of more personal okay. um so our we had uh i think it was our first or second game at winnemac stadium last year um we played a state cup game there uh and honestly just being able to have that facility have access to that place was such a such a, a haul um over the years that like finally watching us play there was a huge, huge relief and something that I was really, really proud of for sure. And we, you know, it was a tiny crowd, but we still had some folks come out and, um, you know, again, it was sort of like a, a first step on a long path to what that eventual game day looks like. Right. Um, 
but that was a really proud moment. And then there was another, another game we played at Foster Fields by the lake, which is just like a turf field off Lakeshore Drive um, that we had like, you know, 70 people or something come to and we were cooking out and we had a brass band there. And that was just sort of like the invite, like the, the environment of the people was like, we, we hit it in a really good place for one game last year and that felt amazing. So like the combination of those two things is like hopeful for the sure. future, you know? Um, and then personally, um, you know, this year has been uh, really hard for everybody um, for a multitude of reasons. And, you know, we're a club that is not just there for our players in that we're trying to get them playing opportunities and get highlight reels of them and stuff. like. We really, we really want to be a part of their lives and we want to be, you know, we want to be sort of connected to them and we want them to want to be connected to us as a community in a big way. So kind of like taking a break for the whole year is not really like in our DNA as an organization um, because we, we just need to continue to be connected to our, our team and our club. Um, so we had some really hard decisions to make this year regarding, you know, not playing friendlies and not doing tournaments and sort of staying as as safe as humanly possible while knowing that we were still going to be practicing, we were still going to be sort of scrimmaging each other. And the short answer to this is basically that uh, our director of marketing and myself and our club manager, Matt, Mike Hamilton, have built a, you know, health and safety policy, essentially, for the club that uh, we've been able to sustain and has has worked really really well um mostly around our sort of wednesday intra-squad intra uh tournament that we're doing um which we do invite people to it's like a very limited capacity obviously but it's all outside and we have sort of like like i said we have like a very strict um health and safety policy that we built and this past wednesday we sort of had our final version of the policy in place and everything kind of worked really well and everybody felt really safe. And I sort of, for the first time, felt like everybody was really safe, which is a big deal for me because I think one of the things we need to be able to do is sort of prove to ourselves and everyone else that we have the professional capacity to handle out of the ordinary difficult situations that arise, right? Like a airborne pandemic is a pretty huge hurdle. <laughs> Being able to leave that event and having all the protocols work and having all the systems of play and organization that we've sort of laid out, work out the way they were intended to, uh, was like really, really satisfying. You, you sounds like you've gone above and beyond, right? It's not just like come down to the rec field and have a kick about it. You've put thought into it. So yeah. kudos to you for that. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued by something you said earlier on that when you were setting up the club, the origin story was, um, it was a club for the players. And then you've alluded to um, an attendance of 70-odd people or whatever. What's the What's the non-playing, the non-family and friends buy-in being around Edgewater? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think one of the things that really does make us unique is just the sort of makeup of our club, both players and staff and community ownership group and, and everybody, is that our our sort of identity is very much wrapped up in whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your background is, this club can be for you. And to me, that's a very appealing thing for a lot of people in, in 2020 in America, because I feel like there's a lot of sentiment 
against that sort of more openly now than uh, there was in the not too distant past. And, you know, in my opinion, <laughs> the more perspectives and the more opinions and different people from different places and different backgrounds you have in a situation, the more likely you are to have a full picture of what a situation is and what the right move is. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a person who believes that, you know, diversity and inclusion is strength. We're a club that I think represents that idea uh, to a degree that a lot of other clubs uh, can't. So there's that. We've got a lot of cool merch. Yeah, you know, I mean, basically we, the answer to that is just, you know, if you're into soccer, if you like, you know, being a part of a community that is a little more, I don't know, a little more organized and a little more um, regularly offering things for you to, to come do and see and engage with people that you might not meet otherwise. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for anybody to just sort of like come and have a unique experience. Um, I got a, one thing that, that I always find, I, I always get into money because money equals sustainability. But, but what's, mm -hmm. is there anything that you guys have done in your, your, you know, three years or whatever that you've uh, spent some money on something that was a really good idea and worked out great, or you didn't spend money on that you wish you would have maybe, you know, invested a little into it, whether it's a marketing campaign or uh, shoes for the coaches or whatever. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that I, I wish we would have spent money on um, when we, you know, if there weren't very many times when we had enough to really like spend a ton. Um, so, you know, most of our, most of our spending has been through things like full uniforms and um, stuff like that. Our, our financial situation is, is pretty unique in that uh, we've kind of built a model again, sort of focused on sustainability that is very reliant on kind of civic organizations and their help. So for example, we uh, have relationships with a couple of different fields that are willing to donate fields to us for practice and for games occasionally, which is obviously a huge, huge help financially. And that very much has to do with the other work that we do sort of in the parks with you know, youth training and free youth pickup games and stuff like that, which we're obviously not able to do now. You know, we haven't really been uh, in a position or been we haven't really needed, I guess, to invest long-term, like years of money into, into things like fields, which has been huge. I would definitely say that we could have done a better job sort of when we had those bigger moments to promote those and spend more money on marketing and spend more money on kind of like getting more people aware of us. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing that we, we could spend more money on when we have it is just the sort of awareness that the team exists because we, we do get sort of lost in our books, so to speak, just doing what we do and don't necessarily spend enough time thinking about how people are going to see that we're doing what we do. So, yeah, there's definitely that. And like, you know, the, the giant order of track jackets for the team that changes, you know, at the time changed every <laughs> three weeks was not a wise decision. So we, we, we definitely spent too much money on the track jackets at the time, although we still have them. So I have, I, we haven't Andrew, I've spoken about this. Yet. I've spoken about it several times. You have to find the balance in my opinion, between being a professional organization and doing what you can afford to do. 
And I think you guys right. are, you're hitting it on the head. And if you're getting fields at a very, very low cost, you are light years ahead of many other clubs that would try to start because that's, that's a huge line item. We talk about it weekly, it seems Nick, but, um, but I think finding that as you, as you also alluded to the professionalism of your staff to be adaptable to a, um, you know, a giant hurdle like a pandemic and to be able to pivot and create something to keep your players engaged. Uh, I think that's, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty admirable of you. Well, thank yeah. you. What's, what's um, I'm stealing your question here, Nick, as you've gone through this experience for a few years, what is the, what is one thing you would tell somebody that wanted to start a club? Any, any advice for them? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think honestly, it's sort of what we were just talking about um, with kind of, I sort of call this civic engagement, so to speak. Um, but this is a lot of what I learned through theater. So um, Jackalope Theater uh, has a, a large theater space inside a Chicago Park District building called the Broadway Armory. Um, and that space that that theater is in was abandoned for like 60 years. So it was like an old military garage that got turned into storage that got emptied and shut for decades, right? So basically what I'd say to someone is like, be sneaky and figure out what spaces larger organizations and civic institutions aren't using or aren't using enough and then find the reason that you are the right person to let use it for free because no one else is using it and you're doing it for a good cause. This is like a challenge in a lot of ways because in order to follow that path, we had to become a nonprofit, which has its own hurdles. Um, I had a lot of experience in that. So I was able to sort of get that thing covered pretty relatively quickly. And then going into those conversations was a lot easier, but it isn't even necessarily just about fields. It's sort of about like finding, finding bigger entities and organizations that like what you do, who can support you in some way, right? So whether that's, whether that's talking to your alderman's office, if you're in Chicago, like I, I have a very long relationship with my alderman in Edgewater, Harry Osterman, shout out to Harry, um, because through the theater and through the club and through just like a lot of things I do in the community, he's been a resource. He's been someone you can, you can talk to his staff, they can help you get things done. And a lot of people don't really want to ask for help from anybody, let alone like a park district facility, right? But you have to, at a certain degree, like if you're, if you're gonna take, at least take anything like the route we did, you, you kind of have no choice but to ask for help um, from, from people that have the resources, right? And like, if, I, if we hadn't just stumbled on that space at the Chicago Park District, it would still be empty. And they wouldn't have had, you know, several thousand people go through there to see art every year. So those, those things, those relationships do benefit both parties, right? As long as you kind of hold up your end of the thing. So I'd, I'd really say like, find, find allies in, in those institutions. What, and it can be, again, it can be anything. It can be your like local high school. It can be a middle school. It can be a college. It can be, I don't know, a military base that has a field. Who knows? Like anyone can, in theory, make a decision to help you. Um, or try to help you. So always ask, yeah. is I guess what I'm saying. Like I love always that. ask questions and always that's ask for help. I feel like this, re 
there's repeated themes in these podcasts, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's but you you can't just go, hey, I love I love playing soccer, so I'm starting a club. Andrew right. had to take all these experiences from theater and from dealing with aldermen and and the politics of of Chicago and and the nonprofit. Like you have to bring experience to the table, and if you don't have those experiences, if you're just the Hey, I I want this. You got to find people that have these experiences and this and this knowledge to bring into your into your front office. Because I mean, Andrew, you 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 know where you'd be if you didn't have any of that experience. You you know. Yeah. So yeah. surround yourself, like you said, not only not always, not only always ask for help, but that goes right into your staff too. Always like we talked. I think we talked about it a week or two ago. Ask if people want to help. You got to bring them in because everybody's got some experience, and then you can tweak that to help the club. Yeah, absolutely. And and on that note too, like I guess spend time thinking about what help you need before people show up. You know, because I think that's actually to go back to my mistakes. I think there's very much points in time in which people have been like, "Oh, this is so cool. I want to help," and I've been kind of so lost in the chaos of my own creation that I don't know where they can even stand to help. You know what I mean? So really thinking about what areas of your organization or your projects, you, you just need an extra set of hands or someone to bounce ideas off of, like know where those things are. And that's as simple as like going down a, you know, staff directory of any pro club and being like, oh yeah, that would be helpful next. Like someone who can talk to corporate people for us, right? Like that, that those, those, um, sort of like long game plans in the things that you need help with also really help to have in advance when people do show up asking. Totally. And to echo what John said on many a podcast is as soon as someone says, I'd love to help book them in. Uh, you don't have to have an answer of what they can do with yeah. that right there and then, but book them in for a week on Tuesday and say, great, let's sit down and chat then. And that gives you some time to think about what they can do. And if they follow through and meet you, then you know they're legit. Absolutely. That's the best. That is absolutely the best way to go about yeah. it. Because I, I, what I would probably do in the past would be say, uh, let me get back to you when I sort of have an idea, right? And that's probably not the right way to go. Like you probably should, like you're saying, you should say, yeah, let's talk next week and we'll just sort of like hash it yeah. out. Whereas I might be too, I might have been too precious in the past with I don't need your help. the work to be done. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Even if I do need your help, I don't know if I want anyone touching my baby. <laughs> Andrew, have you got any questions for either of us, primarily John, because I have no knowledge. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on John on a you know the the recent you know you guys are in the Midwest Premier League and that's now associated with NISA as of recently, yeah. and then obviously the the new application for the Chicago team. I'm just sort of curious to know your thoughts on all that. No, I'm I'm. I'm all about it. Just like you said, the, the more soccer, the better, the more exposure, the better. I don't see any of it as competition really. Um, yeah. you know, our, our affiliation with NISA, it, I was excited because as we aim to balance between a, uh, be a pro club on an amateur budget or not, not mm -hmm. be a pro club, act like a pro club. Right. I want to, I want, I do just like you, I Google organizational charts for Manchester United and I want to see who, what, right. what they're, what's it look like, and probably done that for a thousand clubs, youth clubs, adult, pro clubs, whatever. Um, but, but that's what I want. I want to be closer to the pro club so that I can model our amateur club in that light, and then 
that way our players that come through and succeed, I want to create those opportunities that we can be the stepping stone on the way up for somebody. And then Mm -hmm. maybe we can catch them on the way back down five years from now. And yeah. And you know, if we can, if we can give a path to pro for the players that we have that are interested in that and want to pursue it, then it's going to help us recruit good players. And that's part of it. I mean, as far as the NISA thing goes, I'm excited about that. I think, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of potential. Now, can we, can we turn it into something more than a press release? That's, that's always my, you know, you got to have something tangible. There's got to be, there's got to be something other than just a a Twitter announcement. And, and so we're going to work through those things and and do what we can to provide those opportunities. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just, I bring it on. I don't, I don't get into the, I don't get into the wars about pro rel a lot. I don't get into, I, I don't care more clubs. I wish more youth clubs had the, the ability to go a little bigger, but they don't at this mm-hmm. point want to or whatever, but you know what it is, what it is. There's a lot of people as, as we talk to, I mean, Nick, Nick sits and listens to me talk and, and you talk and Andy Hayes talk and Cliff Conrad talk. There's people in every town that, that are just crazy enough to try this. And, so, yeah. so I think we're scratching the surface. I think when, when we're all old men, we're going to be, wow, we were way on the early stages of this whole growth of community clubs, you know, I mean, when we, when we're able to look back. So I, I think it's all, I think it's all great. Anything that brings soccer to the news is, is good for everybody. And we, uh, we just got to then bring it all home and not get, don't get amped up in the excitement because that doesn't make mm-hmm. you sustainable. That's Take right. Care. Slow and steady, Slow baby. And steady. <laughs> I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you jumping on, Andrew. And I hope everybody goes and buys a little ownership stake in Edgewater Castle and, and helps you guys out so you can continue to grow. I think you guys are doing an awesome thing up there. That's the left field. Sure that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh. Yeah, we'll have ourselves a laugh. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when. We all had a good time and we're sad to see it end. Good luck be with you. You'll go your way, I'll go mine. Sure that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh.